another episode of unleashing the future of work with your boy tim salau back on another guy live b2b jam session hope everyone is doing well actually left oakland last week and actually in houston now with my family enjoying myself but enough about me today's all about my guest an awesome guest on the show mr john gary who is the co-founder of Abodu. And if you haven't heard of Abodu, you're going to hear of them really, really soon. They're one of the hottest tech startups here in the Valley, and they build no compromise backyard homes, also also called technically accessory dwelling units or ADUs. You probably heard them before in your local municipality or from your local government officials, and they're hot. And I want to give a backstory on how I found out about the company. I was on Twitter scrolling through my feed like I usually do. And all of a sudden, I see this hot new startup announcement. I'm like, whoa, this has been something I've always wanted all my life in terms of a place to live. And immediately, I was like, I have to talk to the founder. And I have to talk to the CEO to just talk about, hear about his journey. And also, you know, what inspires him to build this. So here we have it. We have the CEO and the founder on the show with me today. John Gary, and he has an amazing story and background that I think you all would love. And more importantly, I want us to talk a little bit more about, you know, the future of work and living and how Abode is really building that future and what inspires him to keep going and building this future as well. So definitely check out abodu.com. We're going to dive deep on John's story today. Hey, John, how's it going, buddy? Hey, Tim. Thanks so much for the intro. Really excited to uh, be here chatting with you today. You know, thank you for finding time. And for those who you're watching or listening, you know, if my network gets iffy, so sorry about it. We need to get some more 5G broadband at my parents' home. So right now it's kind of tough. So with that said, thank you for bearing with us if you're watching or listening to the show right now. But John, where are you currently located, man? How's it going with you? Yeah, I'm actually located in our showroom here in Redwood City, California on the peninsula just south of San Francisco. 
I'll do this late. So, you know, John, I want you to dive deep even before Abodu, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, how, what inspired you to build the company? Because, you know, you actually have a really dynamic background. And I think a lot of people deserve to hear a little bit about, you know, the, the origin story for you as a founder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it goes back quite a, quite a few years uh, to, to my upbringing. I was born and raised in Cupertino, which for, for listeners across the country, Cupertino is a city right in the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, it's where Apple's headquarters is. There's plenty of tech companies all around there. Um, and I was raised in a home building family. Uh, my, my dad is a single family residential developer, uh, and he's been building single family homes here in the Bay Area since the mid 80s. Uh, so I grew up around that space, right? I grew up around housing. How do you get housing entitled? How do you get housing improved? How do you actually go build it at the lowest cost possible uh, mm. to offer it to, to the area of the, you know, the Bay Area, which has been growing exponentially for, for decades now? Um, and growing up around that space, just it, it really bred a sense of fascination for how do you do this? How does it go faster? How can you do it cheaper? And, and how can you make it more accessible? Um, so I took that that kind of fascination with the process of housing uh, to on me with as I uh, kind of went to college and in, in my early career, uh, I actually went to school out in Chicago at a little school called Northwestern, which I'm a, a big fan of. <laughs> Shout um, to Northwestern. Yes, uh, go Cats. Um, and uh, in my, my junior year at Northwestern, I uh, was an intern at a management consulting firm called Bain & Company, which is actually where I met my co-founder, Eric McInerney. Um, Eric and I were fast friends as college interns. And from the onset, we, we both had this inkling that, uh, that we would, our, our careers would align for, for quite some time. Um, mm. so, so actually, uh, out, of, out of undergrad, Eric and I lived together and worked together at Bain for three years in Chicago. So roommates on the road together, different clients, different projects, really broad, diverse um, work set in, in different clients. But um, but there was always something that was that was missing from our Bain experience, and, and it was that desire to go build, right? And, and not build in the construction sense, build in the how can we go build a, a lasting company that can actually you know do good in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we were getting towards the end of our our Bain career, um, Eric and I started noodling pretty hard on, hey, what are what are some of the issues that really fascinate us? And housing was obviously top of mind for me. Uh, and Eric comes from a, a family that has deep roots in the Detroit auto scene just outside of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, and so manufacturing and the kind of the tangible and the physical was something always uh, that really got Eric excited. And so it was a natural mm-hmm. alignment of our interests. Uh, we actually used to go into uh, to the office on Saturdays and, uh, and just brainstorm, right? We'd mm-hmm. sit, we'd whiteboard, we'd talk about how can we add scalable people housing to the areas that need it most, right? And that was our ultimate pie in the sky that we were solving for. Um, at that time, we threw a lot of bad ideas against the wall. A lot of things <laughs> just for, for structural reasons would never work. And, and, and but, but that process of like, hey, how do we actually go solve or, or chip away at this really challenging problem uh, was inspiring and something that we learned a lot from. And then so this was all in like late 2017. Um, and it was one day, Eric and I were on a conference call with my dad and um, his head of construction, his partner uh, in the home building industry, kind of running some of our ideas by them. <clears throat> and they, it was actually one of the things that they said that, that spurred the idea of Abodu for us. They had a project that uh, their company was working on down in a, a town just south of San Jose here in California named San Juan Batista. It was a 45 home development. And the local municipality said, hey, in order to approve this development, uh, we're going to ask that you add an ADU to one third of the properties. Mm. And, you know, from a developer perspective, that's a really challenging ask because it changes the entire cost profile of that project. 
to where it really pushed it right on the border of, of actually penciling out from a does this project make sense to go invest multiple years and multiple millions of dollars in to generate these these 45 units of housing and ADUs uh, and three of them. So while they were kind of commiserating about that, a light bulb went off in Eric and my's head and we looked at each other and said, wait a second, what's, what's an ADU? Yeah. And the reason is the way that housing is approved in California often follows the storyline of, oh, you want to build X houses? Can we cut that in half? Or maybe can we reduce that by 30%? But rarely do you hear the storyline of, hey, can we actually add some to that? And, and that kind of got us excited and got us you know, un- questioning what, what was an ADU. Mm. So being the, the good management consultants that we were, we went off and did a full deep dive on what are ADUs? How is, it, how is the market served today? How big is the market? What do people look for when they want to put an ADU in their backyard? And what is the regulatory framework around it? And we got really, really excited about learning the new state laws that California had passed in 2017 to standardize the approval process for ADUs across the state and really open up the opportunity for single family homeowners across the state to, to add this livable space to their property. Um, so fast forward a couple months, uh, we're in the spring of 2018 um, and we're getting really excited about you know what, what we think we might be able to do in the ADU space. What we learned is you know, pro- homeowners were consistently getting out of their projects in the Bay Area at over four hundred thousand dollars for the entire project, and the project was lasting eighteen to twenty-four months. That's and crazy. that just—that's terrible, right? Yeah. And what we heard from homeowners more often than not was, "I wish I didn't do this project." Wow. And for a couple of housing nerds that are just geeking out on how this new regulatory framework can empower just millions of housing units across the state that really needs it. That's the worst thing you want to hear. You don't want to hear homeowners saying they wish they didn't do this because the experience was so bad. Um, and so that led us to, to kind of work back from, well, if, if it was so bad, what was so bad about it? What would you want it to look like? What is it time? Is it cost? Is it the paradox of choice? Is it the stress of multiple parties involved? What is stressful about this project? And we actually interviewed dozens of homeowners to get that understanding. And we built the company service model from that customer back. So, hey, what does a customer want and how can we build a company around it? Uh, and that was uh, that was kind of the inception story of Abodu. So we left That's our amazing. jobs at, uh, at Bain in the late summer of 2018 and, and officially started working on Abodu in uh, September 2018. So for you all, initially when you guys started building the company, you all weren't full-time. No, no, it was... It was, it was very much so part-time spattered amongst, you know, really intense work environment as our full-time jobs. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. right. We're talking 60, 70 hour weeks traveling across the country. This was all pre COVID of course, uh, <laughs> traveling across the country four days a week and, and still geeking out on our, our side project of a Bodu um, and, and kind of chipping away every day. Yeah, man, let me ask you in the early days of, you know, building the venture and really like going deep on the customer journey, the customer experience. And at yeah. the t- same time, were you pitching investors and kind of like trying to rally them around the vision? What was that like? And did you face any roadblocks, man? So the question of do we face any roadblocks? Yes, they were many and yeah. almost every single day of every single variety. And I yeah. think that's a story that doesn't get tell- told often enough in mm-hmm. entrepreneurship is you get you get punched in the gut every single day and it's and you just have to keep working through it um but to your question around you know were we were we working on the investment side of things we actually weren't our initial focus wasn't to go raise outside capital and and eric and i actually took a, a kind of a different approach we said well we have we each have a little bit of savings and you know the, we were lucky enough to to earn kind of a, a departure bonus uh when when we completed our time at bain and we said well let's Let's take that. What better way to invest this little bit of cash that we have as as twenty five year olds 
into or but into a, a new company, right? Could go, could go to zero, in which case, you know, we're 25, we're 26, we, we can go kind of figure out our career after that. We were very lucky enough, and there's a lot of privilege in our ability to do that. Um, but the nice thing was we didn't have to go look for outside investment. Um, mm. And obviously, a few enablers there were, uh, we, we came to the Bay Area where, where I have a lot of family. And so we were able to live on a really low cost base. So, you know, we didn't need paychecks, we didn't need uh, to, to be paying exorbitant rent every single month. And so we were able to really uh, hyper leverage those dollars that we could use to start the company into, into driving results as early as possible. Dude, I, I love y'all's approach. This is this is the stuff I tell the founders I work with is like, there's nothing wrong with actually working within a company and then at the same time building that next thing. Absolutely. That's actually the best way because you're able to balance out the leverage. You're like you're building something that's really risky, but yeah. you're still making capital. That's actually a smart thing to do. No, and I, I totally agree with that. I think yeah. I think very often uh, we speak to, to early founders that their first instinct is, well, I need to go find money to fund this. And yeah. obviously there are situations where that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, but but the advice that I give frequently as well is, hey, flush this out for six months, right? Yeah. Like stay in your job, keep earning that income, keep doing well in your job, right? You shouldn't, you shouldn't mail it in in your main job, but but you can you can get to a point where you feel like you've de-risked this enough, uh, where you can make that that leap, and that leap is one of the hardest things. But once you do it, you 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 put your head down and you keep running on it, and that's the point where you can start generating results to then use that to leverage into investment cash. Dude, that's powerful. If you're listening, tuning in, God community, that's how to get it done. If you want to be a founder <laughs> and entrepreneur, and you know you hear heard it first from someone that just raised venture capital, but also did it right by really validating the product in the early days and getting to this point. John, I want to dive deep with you because you know you're building something I think is really going to affect the future of work um, in many mm -hmm. ways. You and I have talked about this uh, behind yeah. closed doors. You know, what do you think? Uh, how do you describe the future of work? You know, being someone that's building kind of you're building it from the component of how people will live in the future. What are your thoughts? Yeah. On Hey, Tim, the future of work is is this ever-evolving paradigm, right? I think the answer to this was way different 12 months ago, completely different 24 months ago, and completely different 36 months ago, right? And I think COVID has a really interesting wrinkle, uh, as terrible as it is, into how we think about work evolving over the next year, two years, five years, 10 years. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think is, is that I'm personally very bullish on is that work will be more distributed. To the extent that is distributed is, is unknown, right? I think there's always going to be that category of individuals and that category of companies that see more value in having uh, having their employees in the office, right? Being able to use that that face to face interaction and that face to face speed uh, to go ahead and get work done and, and just drive uh, drive productivity. I also think there's a lot of roles that never needed that, right? And I think COVID has been a forcing function to say, hey. It actually was never necessary for you to come in the office. You came in, you maybe interacted with one or two people for three minutes over the course of your day. And if that's the case, I really hope that COVID has unlocked the opportunity of those roles to be done anywhere in the world. Right? Mm -hmm. I think what you see is actually it, it democratizes those jobs to folks that may have never thought they had the ability to it to do it. Right? If you look at work here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for example, wages are very high and it's a very competitive labor market. And a lot of people move here because this is their first step into you know, that higher earning tech job. However, a lot of those jobs can be done by people across the country, across the world. It doesn't necessarily require up and moving the family to, to the Bay Area to just get your foot in the door with a software company. I think we're going to see software jobs expand nationally and globally as a result of COVID. But I also think more work will be done in the, in the home. I think mm -hmm. work will be less tied to the office and more tied to 
what needs to get done over the course of the day. And as long as I get that done over the course of the day, where regardless of where I am, I can do that. And we're seeing, you know, some of our homeowner customers, um, you know, leverage this new living space to help uh, empower the, the new ways that we work in this in this COVID environment. So that's powerful. So you all already seen examples of homeowners actually, um, you know, flexing out their abode to be kind of these yes. co-working spaces for them and others in the neighborhood. Are you all seeing that? So we, I mean, we haven't seen to the extent of it being, uh, you know, a distributed WeWork or distributed yeah. co-working space just yet. <laughs> But, but I mean, that's a trend that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, yeah. What we have seen is homeowners that begun their project either right before COVID or in the early stages of COVID uh, with the intent of using their unit for kind of a full-time rental unit or for a family member, they've actually shifted towards, hey, you know, for the first month or two, it'll be really nice to have a dedicated workspace that is at my kitchen table with my kids jungle gymming all over me while class is happening. But on the flip side, we're also seeing homeowners use their home office as their workspace and being able to use their abode unit as the classroom for their children, right? Wow. And I think what 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 ultimately that that tells me is ADUs provide so much flexibility for homeowners, right? So if, if, a, if a global pandemic strikes, they have the flexibility of the space in their backyard. But once we, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later as a civilization are able to defeat COVID and get beyond it, the flexibility of that space can turn into an income earning asset for them, right? Or a space for loved ones and family members to stay on a long-term basis, or for some folks, a really beautifully designed home office. <laughs> wow, wow, that's so powerful, John. And that really excites me because, you know, I feel as if that's the future we're moving towards, people having that optionality and flexibility, even in the housing market, to be able to buy homes such as yeah. to support you know, other even homes that they already have. Because I, I don't think that by by any means that we're going to see the um, the end of homes being built a certain type of way that people are accustomed to, right? Yeah. But what ADUs, I, in my opinion, provide is that flexibility, that optionality. And to your point, you know, one of the things you mentioned to me, you share with me that you guys are really passionate about is accessible and affordable housing. Talk to us a little yes. bit more about, you know, why is that such a big passion for you? And why do you think that's such a huge problem that hasn't been solved yet? No, I, it's it's one of the biggest, hairiest problems that exists in today's society, right? Is, is how do you provide access to housing that is um, affordable and achievable to the average person, right? And, and some markets have done it better than others, right? You look at some cities across the United States where housing is significantly more affordable. Cities like Chicago, cities like Dallas and Houston have made have, have opened up the doors because they've allowed significant building and, and they just have open space to build in, right? And, and one of the things that, that is really interesting is, is housing is an issue that can be solved with market forces, right? There's obviously a lot of other ways to get in it, but it's, it's one of those things where the more housing units that exist, the more supply that exists, it can meet that just increasing level of demand across the board. And for, for me, growing up, I always was just fascinated about home prices. So I was, I was a bit of a little housing nerd and we drive by houses and I would point out the window and say, dad, how much does that house cost? How much does that mm -hmm. house cost? Right? And that was just growing up in the home building family. But what I what I saw the trend growing up is, wow, that same house that I asked about two years ago is now 20% more, 30% more, 50% more. Like it just keeps going up. Mm. And and I think what that that starts to to set in when you get into your kind of early career and you say, Well, you know, I have aspirations in life. I'd love to be a homeowner. I'd love to have a place for my family to live and grow and thrive. Um, but in the Bay Area, that's tough, right? Growing up in Cupertino. Having my folks have their home there since the early 90s, I look at the cost of home ownership and I say that's very challenging. Like that requires a very high income on a household level to even just achieve basic home ownership. Mm. And so we get particularly excited as a, as a company around unlocking home ownership for more people through ADUs. 
right? Yeah. We see we see a variety of models that people use to achieve homeownership, right? It can be, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the home, I'm gonna add an ADU in the backyard, I'm gonna rent that out to a to a young professional or a young family, and that rental income is gonna help me afford my mortgage. Mm. Or hey, you know what? I don't need a full home right now, but I'm gonna want one in four years, and I'm worried about where home prices are gonna be in four years, and I have a little bit of capital saved up where I can probably put a down payment on. But you know what? My monthly income isn't at a level that I'm comfortable mm -hmm. uh, supporting that mortgage. So I'm going to move into an ADU in the backyard. I'm going to rent out the main home to a, to a young family or a growing family and use that as a, as a rental parcel and use that income to help me achieve this homeownership goal. And I think that flexible living space and, space and flexible living environments uh, have empowered homeownership for a whole new class of people that maybe wouldn't have been able to do that without ADUs. Wow, that's so powerful, man, and and I and I think it's a it's very visionary thinking for you know where the world needs to go, and especially in hotbeds like San Francisco, <laughs> who are overly populated, and the housing wow. prices are ridiculous, and they don't seem to be going down anytime time soon. You know, the, <laughs> the fact that Abodu is coming and offering these flexible living options, it's only going to create more optionality in the market and more accessibility, which is really really powerful. Want to ask you, yeah. you know, what else are you interested in from a from a standpoint? <laughs> the future of living and work because you've kind of really eloquently outlined kind of some of the changes you're seeing even with your current customers but are there kind of any other exciting technologies that excite you um even talking to a little bit about how you guys build the homes you know one of the things yeah. that really out to me with the modu is that you all offer a two-week guarantee for home for <laughs> potential homeowners who buy like that's amazing can you talk a little bit about some of the technology that goes into just building yeah. like a modu yeah, no, absolutely. You know, when you when you unpack our our, our model even further, um, at its core, you'll see we are we're process engineers, right? We we took a look at how housing gets built today, and we said, how how can we change that? How can we make things better? What what little pieces of leverage can we insert in the process to to make this experience better? What's really interesting is in super high cost housing markets, you often have a lack of construction labor, mm. right? it's really costly to afford to live in these locations. And so, uh, you know, typical construction labor doesn't live in those markets. They live an hour or two hours away. And so what we were seeing was, hey, to, to, to build a unit of housing, say in city of Los Altos, right? It's on the peninsula in the South Bay. The, the folks that are coming to actually do the construction work are often driving two to three hours every single day to get there. And that's a terrible outcome, right? That's not only bad for, for the quality of life for the construction workers, it's bad for the environment. Right, you have tens of cars coming over on a two-hour commute every single day. That's it's not a good outcome. And so we said, how can you actually co-locate more of those processes in, in areas that um, that can save on quality of life, save on commute, and, and ultimately drop cost? Mm. And uh, we started gravitating towards modular construction. The the fun thing around modular construction, uh, which to, to define that, it's essentially you build an entire structure on a factory floor, um, same construction methods same uh, materials that you would see on a stick build or, or an on-site build, but it's on a factory floor instead of on a plot of a local plot of land. Mm. And the really cool thing about modular construction is it's been around for, for decades, almost centuries, right? It's, it's nothing new, but there's a lot more players popping up with really interesting approaches to modular construction that saves on process time, that saves on material purchasing and cost. Uh, in a way that, that end users and, and homeowners and lot owners can actually see benefits from. So with the Bodu, what we do is we build our, our units offsite in factory. We take care of as minimal amount of site work as possible. So that looks like a foundation and utility connections, right? How do you get the land ready to receive? Mm. Excuse me, the ADU. Um, and then that unit arrives fully complete on the back of a truck. 
right? Wow. So if you taking the the super high intensive high time finish finish work, right? Finish drywall, finish cabinetry, finish uh, finish countertops, and you're doing that in factory, and you're doing multiple of those at a time. Not only are you are you able to see benefits from from that labor being able to do one thing to the next to the next in walking ten feet between doing that instead of driving ten miles between doing that. Um, but you're also to, to see benefits in uh, material purchasing, right? So we're buying four countertops and to the same location at the same time to build those units. <clears throat> and so the, the fascinating thing is that oftentimes it's not a step change in technology that'll make housing affordability drop. It's rethinking the process. It's, it's taking someone who hasn't been in this industry their entire career to say, well, why is that done that way? Yeah. Um, and at its core, that's what we've done here at Abode. Dude, that's powerful, man. And, you know, it, it takes people who are brave enough to actually dive deep in such a laggard industry. <laughs> such as oh, really. <laughs> and I can only imagine what that journey has been like for you, like parsing all of that and, and, you know, all of the things you have to go through just to be able to, you know, develop that domain expertise. Man, that's really powerful. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you, who has been someone that's really been inspiring you in your journey as you build the company and the venture in terms of just product quality and also from just a, a leadership standpoint, how are you thinking about a Bodu's culture and movement? No, I think that's a really, really good question. Um, so when you think about a Bodu's culture and growth, there's a few things that are really important to us. One is a, a concept of design, right? And, and design is a really lofty word that gets thrown around quite a bit. But I think it has some really interesting implications in, in how we work, right? Design is, is, is putting thought into the way that things are done, both physically and experientially, right? So from a design standpoint, physically, Abodu units were meticulously designed with thousands of hours of thought into each unit around how will a user touch, feel, smell, engage with every single square inch of that unit. But even taking that a step further back, how about the experience? How does it how does it feel to go through the buying process of an abode? How does it feel to be an abode homeowner that's having this unit delivered to their home, right? And designing that experience in a way that is thoughtful and considered is something that we we spent a lot of time and continue to spend a lot of time in. And right, that's one of the core focuses of our of our team's ethos is hey, are we designing this right? What are we missing in the design here? And I think a company that does a really, really good job with that is is Airbnb. Right. And if you if you listen to the, the Airbnb executive staff through the years, they've always harpered on design is so important. Right. How do you design the experience? How do you design the user flow in a way that is enjoyable for something that's so new and different? Right. Airbnb home sharing. That was completely new 10 years ago. Sharing your home, sharing a bedroom for a stranger. And I'm not I'm not drawing a parallel between a Bodu and Airbnb. But what, what we are doing is also new and different. Right. Like, hey, we're yeah. going to use your backyard and someone's going to come live here or it's going to be a loved one or family one. And it's a new type of construction. So being very thoughtful in that design is is extremely important and, and emanating that throughout your company culture is something that we continue to strive to do on, on a day-to-day -day basis. Love it, man. Quality over everything. I think a lot of people have to think quantity and rushed growth is the best, but quality matters even more. Man, John, it's been it lovely does. to have you on the show, man. You know, what would be your profitable takeaway for anyone that's listening and watching right now that wants to build a movement like what you all are building with the Bodu and, and wants to be a founder? What would be your takeaway for them, man? Just jump and do it, yeah. right? The hardest, the hardest thing is is that first step in saying, "Well, this is status quo, right? Like this is my life. Yeah, this is the income I'm used to. This is the job I'm used to. I wake up, I do this, and I go to bed." And in changing that is one of the hardest things, right? Mm -hmm. I think across humanity, we can look at change as one of the hardest things to do, right? Socially, business wise, uh, in school, in, in everything we do, change is tough. However, when you can make that change. 
it, it's a whole new horizon that you get to go tackle. And I think the biggest thing on once you've made that change is you have to give it time. Mm -hmm. Patience as an entrepreneur is something that is not spoken about very often, but it requires patience, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an overnight success. It's not a, we did this for a month. Are we millionaires yet? It's not, Hey, are we putting thousands of units in the ground because we've been doing this for six months? It's a develop the strategy and execute against it and trust yourself, trust mm -hmm. yourself and have the patience to see the results come through and, and do not give up too early. Man, you, you've heard it here from a real CEO, a real founder. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. John Geary. John, we would love to have you back on the show, man. What do you think, brother? Hey, Tim, I'd love to come back. Give us uh, give us another six months or a year here. Hopefully we keep building and uh, we have some fun, uh, fun results to report at that point. Love it, man. Sounds good, man. Appreciate you, man. Talk soon, my brother. <laughs> Absolutely, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. It was an absolute blast. You too. Talk soon, man. And that was the amazing John Geary on the show. Please check out Abodu and their movement. In fact, I have shared a link so you can find Abodu and find out more about their movement and what they're building. Super excited about their platform. You know, I'm about to buy me a house at Abodu, um, a Abodu. Um, and I think it's just going to be game changing for the future of flexible living, as I like to call it, but also the future of how people choose to work. With that said, what are your thoughts on Abodu? Let me know in the comments or DM me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Always appreciate your DMs and your loving messages. I appreciate, I appreciate, I appreciate, I appreciate you so much. In addition to that, make sure you all go get some Big Black Tea. We're selling out every single day. BigBlackTea.com. Please, please, please get some Big Black Tea. In addition to that, if you are interested in being a part of the Guide App movement, check out GuideApp.co and sign up for early access. We've had amazing, amazing luminaries and influencers and leaders like the CEO of LinkedIn, Minda Hearts, Jamie Schmidt, who is one of the legends of CPG, Consumer Product Good Packaging, Direct-to-Consumer, they bought our tea. And you can buy our tea too. So sip the tea, get down with the tea, and go big. Don't forget to go big ever today. So check out bigblacktea.com. And if you know of anyone that should be on our show, please let us know who. We are always getting amazing, amazing, amazing requests and interest from people all over the world who are doing amazing things. And you could be next. Literally, our platform is your platform. And more importantly, we often appreciate your attention and the movement that you're leading. So reach out to us and let us know. As always, God community, stay hip, stay abundant. And once again, much love to Oakland. And shout out to Camilla Harris, our Madam Vice President. All right. All love, y'all. Peace.